The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the only show on radio anywhere on the planet that champions entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, in fact, all small businesses. And we're heard right around the world, every country at the same time, every week. We're heard in about 100 countries. So for those of you listening in the United States, I hope you had a fantastic Labor Day long weekend and took advantage of the many fantastic bargains that are available in the stores at the moment. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but the restaurant business is also extraordinarily competitive right now. So I guess that's because the economy dipped a little over the last couple of months. But uh, so if you enjoy your food like I do, now's the time to go out and take advantage of it. We're coming up on our 100th Bob Pritchard radio show later this month. In fact, I'll be broadcasting it from Mumbai in India where I'm going to make some speeches. So I want to thank all our listeners all across the world for making us the number one business radio show for entrepreneurs. I really do appreciate it. Now, last week, we discussed the 10 top crowdfunding websites, their particular niches. And this week, an interesting report came out that claims Kickstarter raises about six times more total dollars and has a much higher success rate than Indiegogo. Now, crowdfunding is just so popular with entrepreneurs because around 25% of all listings on crowdfunding sites get funded against maybe 1% that get funded by investors. However, it's important to add that in the main, the amount of money being sought on crowdfunding sites is usually significantly lower than um, we tend to chase investors for. However, it's the preferred mechanism for funding for many entrepreneurs. According to this report, despite Indiegogo being first into the market, Kickstarter has had over 110,000 campaigns run on its site, while Indiegogo has had about 44,000 campaigns on each site. Indiegogo seems to have raised about $98 million in total, while Kickstarter has raised $612 million. Kickstarter's had 40 projects that have raised a minimum of $1 million, and there's one at the moment that's over $10 million, while Indiegogo has only had three. Interestingly, 
over 150 million was raised by the two companies and had to be refunded because the projects didn't reach their minimum. However, none of that really makes much difference because the most important thing is that 50,000 entrepreneurs have received funding that they needed for their projects from just these two sites. 50,000 entrepreneurs funded. That is incredible. For entrepreneurs, it's an amazing boost for innovation. Now, I don't know about you, but I am driven crazy by ads on the internet. There seems to be more ads more often in more places that are more bloody annoying than ever. There was a report earlier this month that Google lost $887 million from ad blocking in 2012. $887 million worth of ads blocked. And a new study shows that this may just be the tip of the iceberg. Now, while that might be dreadful news for Google shareholders, it's great news for us who have the ability to block the ads. At last, good news for all. Ad-blocking tracking firm PageFair said this week that if ad-blocking continues growing at its current rate, the entire internet will be using some form of ad-blocking by 2018. Hmm. But it's interesting to bear in mind that PageFair makes its money by helping companies avoid ad-blocking. So upselling the threat is in their best interest because they can talk more people into avoiding ad blocking. But against this background, however, Google Trends data finds that searches for ad block more than doubled just in the last 12 months. So PageFair says that to prevent users from ignoring their ads, publishers need to do two really important things. So if you're listening on if if you're listening if your business is advertising online, you should take note of these two tips because they may well be very important to getting your message heard. Firstly, you've got to avoid using intrusive advertisements that feature distracting animations and sounds. This is the number one reason that users download ad blocking extensions. So rule number one. Don't be annoying. The second tip for you internet advertisers is to explain to users how you pay your bills. And if they block your ads, you aren't going to make any money. So you can probably have some success by openly asking users to unblock ads from their sites. Although, good luck with that one. There's also been a lot of comment over the past couple of weeks about how Entrepreneurs need to have the big dream. Dream the impossible and really go for it. Most times you will lose, and for many, you'll lose every time. But for most of us, you will win eventually, and you'll win big, and you'll really make a difference. Successful entrepreneurs do things that other business owners only dream of doing. And they often succeed. So what sets this small percentage of really successful entrepreneurs apart from everybody else? 
Let me just give you the eight qualities that define really great entrepreneurs. Now, as I go through these, jot them down and see how many of the eight actually apply to you. I'll do the same thing. And if you have eight out of the eight characteristics, you are well on the way to success in helping to change the world and, of course, the riches that that brings, not only just in financial terms, but also in terms of huge satisfaction. The first quality that differentiates really successful entrepreneurs is that they say yes first, and then they figure out how the hell they're going to do it. Now, I'm a a great believer in this. I'm really good at this one. (laughs) It takes a huge amount of confidence, and you really need to trust your own abilities as as well as those of the team that you have around you. Great entrepreneurs, like great entrepreneurs, I speak for a living. Woo! Great entrepreneurs know that there's a way to solve every problem. You just have to work out how to do it. Of course, many times you can't, but when you can, it's one hell of an achievement. The second characteristic of a great entrepreneur is that they think differently than most other people. They don't just tinker with existing solutions. They look for different, more creative solutions to the same problem. I saw a great example during the week which said that instead of designing a new corporate newsletter, which no one will read if you want to improve communications of your company, a true entrepreneur will create a holograph of the CEO that welcomes you to work and gives you the latest news. Now, that would command attention and get people listening, and after all, that was the point originally of making the change. Great entrepreneurs also speak up. They tell everybody their opinion. They're not just argumentative about it. They're just forceful. Great entrepreneurs also enthusiastically share their skills. They're not afraid to confide in and teach others. This is really important. I notice the difference between America, where I've lived now for 25 years, and my home country of Australia, is that people are reticent to confide in others in Australia. They're reticent to share ideas in Australia. They're reticent to help people. We're here in the States. I'm blown away by just how much support you can get from all all sorts of people. It's wonderful. It's a great attribute of this country. And it's a simple equation that comes about by an energetic, confident, and innovative approach and sharing. The fifth characteristic of a great entrepreneur is they live by their own code. They respect authority and they respect the status quo, but they have a healthy skepticism believing that there is something better, no matter what it is. Great entrepreneurs are totally unwilling to compromise their principles and also compromise their beliefs for the comfort or the approval of others. The sixth characteristic that makes an entrepreneur great is they actually do what others only dream of or what others wish they could do. A great quote that's worth remembering is that 
you know, the Wright brothers never, ever bothered to get a pilot's license. I love that. I think that is just great. So don't worry about permissions or approvals. Be an initiator. Be creative. And then once your project is successful, that's the time to bring people along with you. So many entrepreneurs research a product to death. I see it all the time. They constantly build extensions. They're constantly refining. They're constantly trying to make it better and better and better. They go off on a whole bunch of tangents. They often delay the release of their project by years. You know, get the guts of it done. Then introduce it to others because whoever comes in and partners or buys it are probably going to adapt it to whatever they have that it fits into. So all these bells and whistles that you create are likely to bite the dust anyway. The seventh characteristic of a great entrepreneur is to never, ever, ever, ever give up. You know, Edison experimented with his light bulb over 10,000 times before it worked. Walt Disney went to over 250 banks before he found one that thought Disneyland was worth investing in. Jeez, that's a good investment. And John Creasy, who became one of England's most famous ever and successful writers, received 753 rejection slips before he published the first of his 564 books. How many of us would get 753 rejection slips and keep going? Whew. You know, most of us give up on, you know, the first 30 rejection slips. You think, oh, I don't think I'm born to be a writer. I think I might go off and do something else. I'll become a dentist. So in the end, if you really believe in yourself, persistence pays. The key is to focus on one project and stick with it. Be tenacious, persevere, and never give up. It also means that you have to work longer and harder to achieve your goal. The last quality of highly successful entrepreneurs is that they don't listen to what I call dream takers. You know, there are always people who criticize everything that you do, whether it's because they genuinely believe that you're misguided or, in many cases, because they simply want to put you down or perhaps they're just extremely conservative. No matter which of these reasons they're motivated by, you simply have to ignore them. For, you know, perfect examples of dream takers, lawyers, accountants, often spouses, because spouses are concerned about you going out on a limb and losing your comfort zone. You know, for every person that enthusiastically supports you, there are probably a dozen out there that are going to knock you, 
that are simply dream takers. Just ignore them. In Australia, they call, they talk about the tall poppy syndrome. And we got that from England. And it is a national pastime to knock down people who are successful instead of encouraging them and helping them and give them every way possible to make them successful we knock them down and that simply isn't the way to build a thriving business culture so how did you do how many of the eight qualities of a successful entrepreneur here i go again I haven't had a drink today either. That's probably the problem. I probably need a drink. So how many of the eight qualities of a successful entrepreneur do you have? I reckon I've got six out of the eight characteristics. And I'm going to definitely start brushing up on the other two. But if you're out there and you've got eight out of eight, that is fantastic. Now, don't forget that this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that's looking for tips on how to be more successful. This is what we are here for. This show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. My business is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a question, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air or we will email you directly. Now, you're listening to the number one show in the world on radio for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. No matter where you are in the world, thanks for listening. And you know what? We really do listen. So we focus on entrepreneurs, startups, and early-stage businesses. And probably one of the most common questions we get asked is how do I protect my IP? A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from Steve Grant, an entrepreneur from Australia. Steve asked if I would have someone on the program to discuss discuss IP protection. Steve, he's a pretty good sort of a guy too, I reckon. Steve, your wish is my command. Today on the show, we have Hartford Brown, a great guy and a Despite being an attorney, he's a great guy, and he's here to discuss a wide range of intellectual property advice, including patents, trademarks, or service marks, copyright, trade secrets, and more. I'll be back with Hartford in the next segment. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'm going to be back in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. 
Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and the segment of the show where we interview people who've achieved great success and who are making a real difference in the world of business, particularly for entrepreneurs. Because this program is all about entrepreneurs. And one of the major concerns that entrepreneurs have is how to protect their intellectual property. A couple of weeks ago on this program, I discussed how a number of entrepreneurs approach us about raising funds for them and yet are absolutely paranoid about telling you anything about their business because they fear that someone is going to steal their IP. So we periodically get requests from people asking to have an IP attorney on the program. And after an email from Steve Grant, who is the CEO of 8Shot in Adelaide, Australia, who has a great project, which incidentally, at the moment, I'm not at liberty to talk to you about, I decided that it was high time that we brought in an expert to discuss how to protect IP. So my guest today is Hartford Brown or hearty to his friends, a Los Angeles-based attorney who represents entrepreneurs and privately owned companies on a wide range of advice on intellectual property. Importantly, another area that he specialises in, which many people neglect to think about, is advising entrepreneurs on how to structure companies to retain IP rights when they seek investors. Hi, Hardy. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Richard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Hi, Bob. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm I'm terrific, mate. Since we spoke a few days ago, I'm I'm really good. Now, excellent. When we talk about IP protection, we talk about patents, we talk about trademarks and service marks, copyright, trade secrets, and probably other. There's probably others as well that I don't know about. So let's start there. Let's begin by assuming that our listeners are not very well versed in protecting IP. So why don't we go through each of them one at a time. Firstly, what is a patent? How long does it take to get one? And how long does the protection last? That's the first part of the question. (laughs) And the second part of the question is, we often hear about a product being patent pending. What does that mean and how much protection does that give you? Great. Okay, let's tackle patents. Um, in possibly simplest terms, a patent is a registered protection of an invention. Uh, most frequently in this day and age, we, uh, that we associate patents with new technology or electronic programming or with pharmaceuticals. Uh, but a patent can also be a process or an improvement of a prior invention. 
uh, and obtaining a patent essentially gives you a property right that you can exploit as the patent owner. You can market the product, you can sell it, you can license the patent to someone else to exploit, or do whatever you want. Now, in the U.S., anyway, getting a patent generally takes 18 months to three years uh, once you file your application with the patent office, and it's good for approximately it's good for exactly 20 years, so long as you file updated documents and you pay fees at the required times to the patent office. Right. Um, now, patent pending uh, means that you're claiming a right to the invention and are assuming the patent office will grant you the patent, and you filed the patent application already. But it can only be that phrase patent pending can only be used in limited circumstances, uh, and it does not really give you the full protection you will have once you get a registered patent. But essentially what it does is it puts others on notice that you are seeking protection for your idea or your invention, and you consider it simply a matter of time until the patent is issued and you will protect your rights. Now, does the priority work on a when you lodge the application basis? I mean, if you lodged one this week for product XYZ and I lodge one in a month's time for a product XYZ that's very similar, does my patent application get priority simply because I was in there first? Not necessarily. No, the, the, the patent office will, and the courts, by the way, if you end up in litigation, will also look at first use, first invention, differences in language, uh, prior, there's a possibility neither one of you gets the patent based on prior patents. Um, so there are all sorts of factors that can go into priority and, and filing first. But certainly you don't want to delay filing um, just in case something happens down the road. Okay, you mentioned in that in your first couple of statements you can lodge an improvement to an existing patent. Does that existing patent have to be yours? No, but then you have to deal with the rights of the, the prior patent owner. Um, but it can be yours. and In fact, that's a uh, common trick in the United States anyway with pharmaceuticals is that the patent owners on a new pharmaceutical or a pharmaceutical that's been around almost 20 years will then change it slightly and file a new patent so that they can extend their protection for this drug that they've spent millions and millions of dollars researching and then marketing. Okay. Now, is a patent universal or do you have to take out separate patents in every one of the 194 countries on the planet? Uh, neither. <laughs> it's not universal, um, but there are uh, and there are patent offices in countries all around the world. Uh, but for international protection, you don't have to file in every single country. Uh, there are treaties and uh, agreements throughout the world so that you can do some bulk uh, filings. And there are services that help the inventor or usually the inventor's lawyer file internationally in a variety of countries all at once so that it's not such an immense undertaking, uh, whether it be time, effort, or money. So if, if, let's say you register a patent in Europe and in North America and Australia and Japan or whatever, and somebody in Bolivia decides to... Um, I'm just picking Bolivia, so it might, it might be inside some treaty, but nevertheless, just some country that's not in a treaty, somebody in that uh, country produces the product against your patent. Can they sell that product in countries where you have a patent, or are they prohibited from doing that? Well, I'm sorry to give you a, a typical lawyer answer, but the answer is they might be able to. Uh, it depends not only on what treaties that country is, uh, is registered with, but also what their internal laws say. 
Uh, you did mention Japan, but Japan is one of the countries where sure. oftentimes if you don't register there, they're not going to help you out. Uh, so you better register in Japan or they're going to allow companies inside Japan to, to uh, compete with your patent oftentimes. When they do produce the product, though, if you've got a patent in the United States, can, can they sell that product in the United States? Well, they'll certainly try oftentimes, but you, know, you have remedies available to try to okay. get the government to ban import. Right. So how does a trademark protect you, and how do you get one? Well, in the U.S., you get a trademark through the Patent and Trademark Office, um, and a trademark is uh, a mark or logo used to identify goods or services as being from a particular source. So it can protect your name and the logo you use in connection with goods and services. Uh, generally, a trademark or a mark is a word or a phrase, maybe a symbol or design or, or a combination of any of those, which would identify, say, Nike. So the word Nike would be the trademark, and the swoosh design uh, may be a separate trademark registered by Nike, but both would indicate the source of the product that bear the marks, in that case, Nike. So you need to trademark both your name and the product. Your name and, oh, the, and the logo. And your, and your, sorry, and your logo. Correct. Correct. Okay, and, gotcha. And, that, make, and it, that makes perfect sense. Sure. In, in the United States with the Patent Office, um, that can take generally 10 to 18 months absent uh, challenges by others in the trademark office at the registration stage. Okay. Now, in the U.S. anyway, we, rec we recognize both registered trademarks and non-registered trademarks. So when you see, if you see Nike with a little R generally in a circle yeah. next to it, yeah. that means they've registered it with the patent office or the patent and trademark office. Right. But if you see the TM symbol in the U.S., that means that it's an unregistered mark you have not gone to the patent office, but you do intend to protect your mark. So okay. if, um, if, it, if I had Hardy Brown TM and you start marketing a similar good uh, yeah. under the same name, uh, I can still sue you and enforce my mark if I can prove various things, uh, but I don't get all of the remedies at the end of the litigation that I would get if it's registered. Okay, and the best way to... Um establish your bona fides of owning the product is to use it in use the trademark in advertising or in some sort of material that's out there in the general public so that it's seen as um, um, being used right absolutely you as long as you use it in commerce uh, and you use the, the little TM or certainly once you have the R absolutely use that in connection with the mark you intend to protect okay service mark what is that? Well, it's a, it's, it's a related item to a trademark, but it's identifying the service rather than the product or its provider. So it could be uh, a company that offers services. Uh, my firm's name is Clientance PC, and if we, we wanted to uh, brand it as a service mark, we provide legal services to you, that sort of thing. So okay. it's very similar to a trademark, uh, and frankly, a lot of people don't even know about a service mark when that's the proper thing for them to be registering for rather than a trademark. Okay. Copyright is also an extremely important prote protection. What is it? And again, how do you obtain copyright protection? Okay, well, a copyright generally protects creative works of an author, and that can be a wide variety of things. That can be a song. Uh, a book or other writing, or can also, in, at least in the United States, again, that can be blueprints for a building. And an architect would have a copyright 
automatically in his or her blueprints. Uh, getting a copyright in the States is generally easier than uh, obtaining a registered patent or trademark. Um, and instead of the U.S. government deciding to put it all in one place, they have a separate office for copyrights called the U.S. Copyright Office. Yeah. Um, and, and it's generally much simpler, easier to do than, uh, or to apply for and get than it is for a trademark or a patent, as I said. So if you're a software developer out there, would you copyright, can you copyright code? Is that like a written word? Uh, code, you usually want to, yeah, you want to look at that and it's case by case, but you, you want to consider copyright or patent. Okay. Okay. The, the one protection that really confuses me, and I hear about it a lot and, and seemingly more and more, is trade secret. You know, I often have people saying that, you know, the major corporations troll patent applications looking for great ideas and you know, when they find them, they can modify them and steal them. Uh, I've been told a lot that you're better off not patenting something and keeping it trade secret. So what really is trade secret? Does that logic make any sense? Sort of. <laughs> um, I, I don't <laughs> love that idea, and I would, I would probably not advise a client to do that. It sounds like what, what the, the logic is... Um, is that if you have this process and you want to keep it confidential, you keep it a trade secret because once you apply for the patent, you have to disclose the idea in your patent filing to sure. determine whether it's patentable. Um, whereas a trade secret, you don't have to register anywhere. Uh, the, the legal definition of a trade secret here in California, and this is fairly uniform uh, throughout the United States, is any formula or practice or process or design or even a compilation of information, which is not which is not generally known to the public, uh, which can provide an economic advantage. But there's also a second key to it, and that is that you have to uh, take reasonable steps to keep the information confidential to get trade secret protection. So not only do you not disclose it publicly, but a lot of times you don't even want to disclose the trade secret to employees that don't need to know it. And doing things in this day and age like password protection, uh, even within the company to get to the trade secrets, it's a really good idea uh, to really show that you've undertaken the steps necessary to keep this information private. Couldn't couldn't somebody just do a run round? Somebody a little devious. Couldn't, couldn't somebody just do a run round trade secret by backdating a whole bunch of letters and things and putting them in their files, saying, you know, we were working on this in two thousand and four. They could try. Uh, uh, I, I think, though, that in this day and age, that's getting harder and harder to do. Uh, when you're in litigation now, you don't just look for hard documents. You look for the electronic history of those documents. Yeah. Um, so in these disputes, I'd be asking for the computer hard drive, which would show me when this document was created, and frankly, every hard drive since then. So if I can find the ghost of the image on any one of your hard drives showing that you created it in 2011, though you're claiming 2004 that can blow your argument out of the water. Okay. It's also a common belief among people that I speak to, and this has been a sort of common belief for years and years and years, that if you modify, modify a patent or a copyright or a trademark by 30% or more, then you can circumvent the protection. Is that true or false? Yes. <laughs> 
I don't think there is magic Lloyd's formula. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there is a magic formula. I don't think you can say it's 20% or 30% or 80%. Right. Uh, and I think that in considering this, there's a two-step analysis. And, and the first one is, can you get the registration? Can you get that patent or that right. trademark, for instance? And then second, can you protect it in litigation? So the first step is is uh, the registration, and if you alter a pre-existing patent, uh, first of all, it may be an improvement, so you may be able to get it that way. But secondly, it may be that uh, the examiner within the patent office uh, allows it, or someone nobody challenges it, so you get through. But more likely, and these people are really smart and good at what they do, they'll often come back to you with questions or clarifications, or tell you, look, we don't like this part, we think it's too close so that they can try to issue a patent which is not, uh, which they don't consider infringing on the other patent. Now, once right. you get that mark or that patent, now you have the courts. And even if you have a registered trademark, for instance, if I think that it's confusingly similar to my trademark, which preexists yours, I can still sue you for infringing on my trademark. And saying that you've, had, you've gotten a registration from the government is not an absolute defense to my claims. So... Oh, wow. That goes back to your 30%. Is it enough or is it not enough to alter it by 30%? Well, that's going to be decided by the judge or the jury. Okay. So the ones that we've mentioned, uh, we've, we've mentioned um, patents, we've mentioned um, trademarks, service marks, copyright, trade secret. Are there any that I've missed? Any protections that you can use that I've missed? No, the, I think the, those are all of the types of intellectual property an entrepreneur or a business owner would be interested in. There, there's additional analysis, though, and that's you want to be considering how what your intellectual property is and how do you protect it from day one. You want to do it in forming your company, in licensing it, in your employment contracts with your employees, with independent contractor agreements, and the like. So you want to consider things like work for hire and pre-existing inventions of employees and the like. Uh, so it's not just registration where you have to worry about it. It's at every step in your business. You have to be thinking about intellectual property. That's great advice. So if one wants to get a patent, for example, when I walk into Hartford Brown's legal office to get the process started, apart from having a suitcase full of money, what do I need <laughs> to bring into you? Well, another suitcase full of money. <laughs> and No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I, I would say a few things. You need patience. Because these are, you know, business people want things done immediately. Sure. And the government works at its own pace. Um, so I think patience is one. I think also the more homework you've done regarding your intellectual property and similar intellectual property, uh, the more homework you've done on that before you meet with your lawyer, the better off you are because it just means less time and less money to research it. Uh, although I'm sure the law, you know, in most cases, the lawyer is going to want to go do his or her own uh, supplemental research, and that's something you should work out with your lawyer. Uh, I would also suggest that you have questions ready. How long is this going to take? What is the process? How do you work? How do you communicate with me? All of those sorts of things are important. That are important to you. Have ready when you go in because you're interviewing the lawyer, uh, and that the lawyer is performing a service for you. So you should be comfortable with that person just as you would with an employee. And then I would say, be prepared to make the determination, is this lawyer a good fit for me or not? He or she may be eminently qualified, but he or she may not be a great fit for you and your business. And, and so I think you should be prepared to 
take everything that's said with that in mind and whether it's going to help you get to that goal and having a good working relationship with your lawyer. Okay. So I've got a, I've got a new invention. I want to patent it. Um, what sort of costs are involved here? Um, to get a patent in the United States, for example, excluding legal fees, what, what sort of... Excluding costs? legal fees, uh, it's a couple thousand dollars. Uh, including depend- legal fees. <laughs> including legal fees, it, it, it varies greatly, again, and I, I apologize again for another lawyer answer, but the complexity, how much homework you've done ahead of time, how well written out and thought out your invention is, and then once you get to the patent office, it's a little bit out of everybody's control as to how much it's going to cost because the patent examiner may have a lot of questions or clarifications or a lot of work to do with the patent office, and a competitor may challenge your application in the patent office. Right. So even if you prevail, obviously, that's expensive. So it can be tens of thousands of dollars. Okay. So if I, if I want to protect myself all around the planet, what sort of ballpark number do I need to have in mind? $100,000? Would that protect me around the world? It really varies case by case, but I don't think that's an unreasonable initial budget. And I think that once you meet with your lawyer, that the lawyer understanding the idea and where you really need to protect your idea, they can help you develop a budget before you get too far along in the, in the process. Okay. This, is, this, I think, is a very important question. Why is it important to have IP advice before you get investors involved? Why is that well, important? Sure. Several of our clients are developers of an idea, whether it's an, um, a patent or a mark or, or a copyright. Um, and if our client is the one who's invented the patent or the process or has written the movie and then needs investors to bring that product to market, uh, there are several approaches you can take. The simplest way is put it in a company and bring investors in as your co-owners and getting loans and the like. But in some cases, our, inventor, our, inve- our clients who are the in- inventors do not want the investors to own any intellectual property. They just want to help them exploit it to a predetermined point. Right. So we work with our clients ahead of time to determine which, which way to go with this. Uh, it would be, and sometimes that is setting up two entities, the first of which is owned only by the invest- inventor, pardon me, uh, and that company owns the IP and licenses the IP to a second company, and the investors actually buy into that second company, which only has a license agreement for the intellectual property. Yeah, that's what and that sure. way, if there are problems, you can still ultimately try to control your intellectual property down the road. Yeah. Do you find that most investors, or in my experience, most investors want to be involved in the company that has the IP? That's true, too, um, and depending on how much money they're bringing to the table, you can always make exceptions as well, yeah, so there's sure. greater flexibility. If I'm going to come in and give you, say, 50% of what you, uh, what, uh, of what you need to bring a product to market, then maybe you let me in that company that owns the IP, but if your neighbor is going to give you $100, maybe you only want him or her in the one with the license. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's the ideal. It's just... Somehow very hard to do once you get sitting across a negotiating table with an investor. It that suddenly becomes a hard one. Well, it certainly does not work all the time, and that's why we work to determine ahead of time what's going to work here, and also with enough flexibility so that if you do get a whale investor down the road, 
there's enough flexibility to do what he, she, or it demands, which yeah, is participating in the ownership of the IP. Right. Hartford, thank you very much for being on the program. It's been great to speak with you. Um, you know, I'd be the last to say that lawyers are overpaid, but um, when you leave the building, could you please take your Lamborghini and... <laughs> Money kidding. <laughs> no, it's a, but it is an expensive exercise to protect um, your intellectual property, but it is something that if, if you're building, you really believe in, in, in the product and uh, you want to make a lifetime um, career out of it or you want to sell it on to somebody, you have to make sure that it's well and truly protected. Now, if you'd Absolutely. like to know more about how to protect your IP, you can email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and I will introduce you directly to Hartford. He's a hell of a guy. And after you get to know him for a while, he'll let you call him Hearty. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I'll be back with you in just a moment. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking absolutely no bullshit business show coming to you this week as we do each and every week from my hometown of los angeles the city of angels this past weekend marks the end of summer but because we're in la the temperatures in the mid 90s and that of course is why we live here 365 days a year absolutely beautiful now there's nothing nicer than sitting in one of those great open-style restaurants that they have all the way along the beach, built over the sand, enjoying seafood and watching the pelicans and the dolphins. It has to be one of life's great pleasures. I've got a couple of favourites down in Malibu that are just wonderful. So I'm currently preparing to give speeches in India, Dubai and Bahrain over the next month, as well as a number in 
of speeches in the United States. And uh, no matter where you go in the world, and no matter what industry you're in, business shares the same challenges everywhere. And this is a segment where we address some of those issues. The first email this week is from James McMaster from Huntington Beach, just south of Los Angeles. Another nice spot. And James says, Dear Bob, keep up the good work. It's a great program. I've learned a lot from it. Last week, you spoke about how you can differentiate your business. But we're still doing most, but we are doing most of the things you mentioned, and we still seem to be sharing the available business between a number of competitors who sell exactly the same products as we do. Apart from what you mentioned last week, what else can we do? James, um, (laughs) when customers compare a number of companies that provide similar services, you know, what you've got to do is set yourself apart. Now, that you can't do it with your products, obviously. You can't do it with prices, obviously. But you can do it with customer service, with add-on add-ons. For example, once a week you might have a free training program to teach people how to do something. You know, maybe if you're in the selling wool business, you teach them how to crochet. If you're in a, if if you've got a computer shop, you teach them how to use Facebook or whatever, and uh, that becomes a free add-on. Um, but people also like to buy from someone they think of as an expert, and uh, if you can establish yourself as an expert, this gives your company much more credibility. So how can you become an expert? Well, media appearances certainly help. Haro, H-A-R-O, or help a reporter out, and Profnet, P-R-O-F-N-A-T. Now, there are two places that you can look for opportunities to be quoted. For example, Haro has been quoted by over 30,000 members of the media, including Fox, ABC, Associated Press, Dow Jones, and truckloads more. All you have to do is sign up as a potential source on your particular subject and have queries from reporters from across the globe sent directly to your inbox. Another way to get started on your quest to be seen as an expert is to write and have something to say about your industry that might have broader appeal in a non-paying column in a local newspaper, for example, or on a relevant website or blog, writing a book. Now, that's another way to establish your credentials on a subject. If you have the right topic and you've got enough to say on the matter, then I'd strongly recommend this for a number of reasons. I've written five books, and they certainly have been a fantastic boost to my career. However, It takes a lot of work, and if it's a book that is ready to be read by professionals, then you've got to be sure that your information and advice is not only cutting edge, but can be substantiated. My last book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, took me nearly seven years to complete. Now, and I remember the day that Kick-Ass, I walked into Barnes & Noble in Washington, D.C. with my son, and uh, I remember seeing kick-ass on the shelves for the first time and it was such a great buzz you know even though it was my fifth book it was just still a great buzz 
Um, of course, the next step is to get recognised authorities to endorse the book. I was fortunate to get Tim Draper. He's the guy who created viral marketing and was responsible for huge successes like Hotmail and Skype, um, as well as um, Alfonso Roberes, who was the marketing director for Real Madrid, plus a couple of others to give me great endorsements for the cover of my book. So that immediately gives you credibility. So um, I suggest you write a book, go out, start talking to people and get people to endorse you. Of course, expert opinions, product reviews and white papers on your website can attract a more general audience and they'll think of you when it comes to buy, they'll think of you. You can also build a name for yourself through events such as local luncheons and all sorts of other lions and rotary and um, entrepreneurial groups where you go and You'll have to speak for free, but um, if you give a presentation on the subject of your expertise, it brings in customers, and uh, they'll want to know about specific products or services, and uh, people who attend the event are probably ready to buy, or at least give it very serious thought. Finally, to be thought of as an expert, you need to be across everything that's happening in your industry. Not only locally, but globally. You need to be aware of national trends and even better, be the one to set or frame them. The broader your knowledge is, the broader your potential customer base will be. So if you, you what you've got to do to, to keep abreast of everything, and it's difficult because there's so much material out there now, but you need to subscribe to trade publications, get involved in industry associations, Think about where your industry's headed and uh, staying on top of trends in your industry will help your business as much as it will help make you an expert. But it does take a lot of work. But if you're prepared to put in the yards, you'll win. Thanks, James. Tomorrow we'll post you off a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. That's my latest book. And uh, if you don't have a copy, you can pick one up at Amazon. But don't forget, Kick-Ass is also available as an audio book. So instead of sitting in the car listening to opinions from hundreds of so-called experts who probably know little more than you do about whether or not we're going to invade Syria or do whatever we're going to do, have a listen to this audio book and improve your business. I always listen to audios in the car. I learn a hell of a lot, which is a lot more beneficial than a lot of the other crap we get fed. The next email today comes from Ivan Gottliebson of Washington State, Oregon, who writes of Washington State, Oregon, okay, who writes, Dear Bob, what is the best way to communicate our company and our products on the web so that we can actually generate sales rather than just get our name known? I've got a couple of typos in this document, uh, in this email. Ivan, we're tight for time, so let me just give you one idea. The web has become a very visual medium, with the majority of experts recommending that you use video to promote your product or service, both on your website and also on all the video sharing sites, and there's a whole heap of them, such as YouTube, Vimeo, Vivo, Dailymotion, 
VO, Met, Meta Cafe, Flickr, Break, and there's a bunch more as well. A striking image of your product or business can help boost sales. No question about that. The National Retail Federation, for example, notes that more than two-thirds of consumers think that seeing the image of a product is very important when making buying decisions. However, you know, just as your brand alone will not generate sales, you've got to emphasize the benefits to your customer of using your product, not just provide them the features of the product. And you really need to show the customer what you stand for as a company. So remember that brand awareness is not worth a damn in today's market. It's your brand equity and your value proposition that's critical. And consumers want to do business with companies that share their values more and more, particularly the millennials. There was another study that showed that quality images of a restaurant, a hotel or a small business made people more likely to consider the company or at least to make contact with them. However, it's important when showing images that you show people having fun, enjoying themselves, or if they're in a business in a good atmosphere, having some fun. Too many restaurants and event centres show beautifully set tables in empty rooms. So how do you take advantage of the visual web? Get your image out there and pay attention to which images of yours people are sharing on sites like Pinterest, for example. And watch to see if customers are finding novel uses for your products that you hadn't thought of. You may get some unexpected insights along with ideas for new markets and products. Thank you, Ivan. A copy of a book that I wrote along with Brian Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson called Marketing Magic will be sent to you tomorrow. I hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the audience that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus and become my friend on LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn a hell of a lot. It is sensational. Don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic you'd like me to address, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.